This is Dev Propulsion Labs, the podcast about building successful developer tools, hosted by Evil Martians. Hi, it's Dev Propulsion Labs and me, your host, Victoria Melnikova. Today we have a very exciting guest. Please welcome Ivor Ostas, CTO and co-founder at Unleash. Ivor, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? If I didn't cover some important bits, we'd love to learn more. Yes. Uh, nice to meet you, Victor, and happy to be, be on this uh, this show. So I'm Ivor. I, I take care of products and engineering here at Unleash. Uh, I have a developer background. I really love to write software and, and, and work with developers. This is kind of my sweet spot. And, and, and I, I, I like to think of myself like many developers actually do. I think of myself as a problem solver. So I love to solve problems. And, and this is also why I take care of the product side of Unleash and work very close with our customers and, and, and also our users of the open source to really understand the problems that we can help and, and problems that we can actually help enable or fix or fix together with our customers. And uh, this is what I live and breathe for. All right. So take us to the origins of Unleash. What initially inspired you to create Unleash and how did it, how did this idea come about? Yeah. So this goes back actually to 2014. Uh, so I was working as a developer back then uh, in a big company here in Norway. So I was lucky uh, about the time I joined this company. They did kind of four releases a year, kind of the typical like the release nights, uh, calling people to work all night to make sure that uh, we could successfully release a new version of the platform. And it was a lot of work, a high risk type of activity. But the company had already kind of decided they wanted to move to, to continuous release basically every day. That was the goal. I was part of this journey. I was lucky to be at this company at this time. We did a bunch of things to automate, automate the pipeline, make sure that in theory we could release to any environment, also production whenever we wanted. Um, I was at the time, I was a tech lead at one of the team. It was more than 20 teams in this company working together to build this service. And we had very ambitious goal on my team. We wanted to ship software every week. We had these weekly sprints and, and we wanted to start the week and, and uh, with a planning and, and then end the week with something delivered to our users. The challenge is that a lot of features take some time to build. It's not like just build it, ship it, and then it magically works. It takes multiple iterations. You need to get a feedback and, and also just time it takes to write the code for more complicated features can be more than a week uh, of work, uh, even if you divide it up in smaller increments. And at least those small increments might not make sense to kind of enable for everyone. So I started to explore this topic. There has to be a solution to this. This doesn't make sense to me because we had all these feature branches. It was super hard to test all the different features. It was hard to involve all the stakeholders like the product manager, all the people in the company that might be interested in these new features or feature improvements. So I started learning about trunk-based development. This was a thing already back then. People were doing it. There was also actually a few other open source feature flight tools. I even explored some of them. My challenge back then was that there was no available tool that would kind of work well as a service. We were already doing microservices. We already had multiple programming languages in place with these services. And I really wanted something I could easily integrate into 
more than one programming language uh, and, and still have this centralized control of the features we were building. So what do a developer do when they don't find a good solution? They go build it. Uh, again, I'm a problem solver, so I like to build stuff. Um, we built the initial version in, uh, in a couple of weeks, of course, a very easy, very kind of simplistic version of what Unleash is today. But it allowed us to start working trunk-based. It allowed us to start integrating unfinished functionality into the master or main code branch and allowed us to start gathering feedback from our stakeholders, from early adopters, from certain user groups with low risk so that we could really, really validate that we were solving the right problem. We uh, and I also get feedback from production environment in terms of are there edge cases we didn't think about? What are the errors? All of that. So this was my inspiration and it allows us to kind of really start releasing to production every day. I'm curious to learn. So from what I know, you and your brother run the business, right? How did your brother come into play? Who, who was <laughs> So, so this actually happened a few years later. So okay. obviously I created this open source project. I took care of it myself. I had some good helpers along the way, uh, helping kind of uh, maintain and, and further extend the open source project. But you know, it was never a plan actually to go out and create a business around this. This was just uh, a fun side project. It solved my problem in the current workplace, but it also solved my friends' problems, and there was a lot of people using it. But at some point, it started growing interest uh, as an open source project. Companies started using this in production. So uh, you, could, you could kind of monitor that by GitHub stars, of course. You can monitor that by download metrics and all of that. And at some point, it was just so popular that companies started reaching out to me personally, like, can we pay you to host this for us? Or can you build this enterprise feature for us. We can even pay you to build that feature. And that was when I started talking with my brother. He is, have a similar background as myself, but he has gone more into management and, and the business side of things, the business side of technologies, while I have been more on the technical side and developer side and architect and all of that. Uh, Together, we decided to explore this opportunity. Um, and we actually did that for quite a while. Uh, so, so we started back in 2019, actually, and, and we used uh, almost a year to, to just talk to potential customers and, and, and try to sell this thing uh, to anyone, uh, just to see what the market is, learn about the competition and all of that. So let's stay here a little bit longer. How do you get your first customers? You mentioned that when you had the initial kind of MVP, let's put it like that. You had a lot of yeah. friends who would use it. You were able to use it for work and yes. test it out in real life. But then when it became a business, how did you get those first customers? Building a business. The only way to build business is that you build something someone is building to pay for. So you have to validate that assumption. And the easiest way for us there was to just create this landing page. It was a very simplistic WordPress page and, and there was a sign up button. Uh, and we just put that out live and, and the validation was just, will anyone sign up for this uh, at all? And basically what you bought was open source hosted. That was what we were selling at the time. And it turned out that after just a few weeks putting up this landing page, someone signed up, someone we didn't know. <laughs> 
And this was, of course, because of the open source project. So it was easy. People knew about the project already. People were Googling for it. So it was kind of possible to find. And then we sold it and, and we just added more and more customers very, very slowly. We made sure to really talk to these customers, really understand why did they reach out? What are they looking for? All of this. And, and you just use this as an opportunity to learn. Sounds like you intuitively kind of found the right path to commercializing your open source. Uh, Actually, as an advocate for open source, you touched on this a little bit. Uh, how do you think Unleashed benefits from being an open source project in the first place? And maybe, I mean, you talked about it getting exposure, right? Uh, yeah. People just seeing it. Are there any other benefits? Or maybe you can give us a little bit more depth here. Yes, I think uh, this is a great question that any company uh, doing this open source type of motion should really think hard about. This is how does open source fit into the customer journey and and how do we benefit? But I think kind of there is two sides of that question that we need to answer. But one thing is what do we as a company, as a niche, benefit from having an open source project? And the side of it, what does the user of the open source benefit of using an open source project that might also be supported by a commercial company? And I think kind of the first question for me, like, what do we benefit? Of course, awareness, like the first year, we didn't do any marketing. We didn't, we didn't do anything. We just kind of took care of all the inbound leads coming by itself because we had something people were already using in production. And a portion of those users will prefer to either pay us to host it for them or at least pay for some support or some kind of additional enterprise functionality. So, so we didn't have to market in the beginning and it was enough for us to just manage all of that inbound. That's the awareness part. If you have a successful open source project, you kind of get something there for free. And you do a good job if you really have a compelling product that solves an important need for these companies. They will also tell their friends about this product. Things that we see that we get from this is obviously we get community support. There has been tremendous help in terms of helping others. We also see documentation is also played, particularly those Getting started guides and, and, and conceptual guides is super, super valuable because they will come in with fresh eyes and they will tell us if it's not kind of good enough. Yeah. A place where we have gained a lot of contributions over the years is obviously integrations and particular SDKs because we have like support for all the major programming languages. And myself, I don't know all the programming languages that well. And most of our, at least a huge portion of our official SDKs actually started out as a community developed SDK. And over time, we grew the team and we could adopt it as an official SDK. And we don't do that before the team is actually equipped to actually maintain it. We still keep the, the open source contributor as part of the team if they prefer to, but it's also important to us to kind of communicate well to our customers that an official SDK, we will actually really take care of that. If there is any problems, it will be part of our SLA and all of that. Uh, it's super helpful with bugs and, 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 and particularly those really, really weird bugs that are super edge case. Um, it's super, super hard to find. Uh, we, we get a lot of those fixed by the community or at least pointed out by the community. So this is also. That's what we get out of it. What do, and, and what do they then the user of an open source get out of unleash being open source or having an open source component? Um, 
And for us, that's also tied to what is our business model. And, and, and we have an open core business model. And, and for those that doesn't know about that, it's kind of, you have this core, this core functionality of your product that is open source free. And our, in our case, it's Apache 2 license. You can use it. You can use it for whatever you want. And then we have built an enterprise version that builds directly on top of that core. So we would extend it with more functionality. So it's actually a different product. It looks the same. I will have the same UI and all of that, but it will have more functionality that is not part of the open source even. So what does that mean? What does this give back to the community? And, and one of the things it gives back to the community is obviously we can invest in the open source and, and we can build more functionality. And, and we have a very kind of careful model where we say that the core of an issue should be open source and available as part of the open source. That's our kind of origin. We started out as an open source. The company exists because the open source adopted Unleash or the community adopted Unleash open source. And, and that's kind of our route. So we should keep that and, and further build and improve that part. And, but what is the distinction then between open source and the paid version? And, and I have to admit, we haven't been transparent enough about this part. We have a very building and cautious decision around this internally. And we are working on also personally writing a blog post about this now kind of what is our open source philosophy. And, and we want to be more transparent on this. There is no reason to hold back, but you will see this also how, what we build and all of that. But our philosophy is that a single developer or like a small team needs to kind of use feature flagging in terms of the targeting capabilities, the ability to turn things on and off. All of that should kind of the core capabilities of Unleash should be free and part of the open source. So what do we then charge for? It's when you grow out of that, when you have many teams, when you have compliance requirements, when you need to have different permission levels for different parts of the organization, when you need to restrict who can change what in production, when, when you need to have four eyes approval and as to sell all of these kind of things, or when you need support or strict SLAs and all of that. And this to me is where we draw the boundaries. So when you are moving into organizational needs, Mm-hmm. That's where we will have a paid version. But when you are on the small team, the individual team size and just want to use feature flag as part of your software development process, that's the free part, the open source part. Yeah, that's interesting because I think that many founders actually struggle with that distinction. For example, we have uh, Emoxy, which is Evil Martians owned, uh, created open source project that became commercial. We commercialized it at some point and it has a similar model. It has an open core and you get some additional paid features if you buy a paid plan. And for example, in our scenario, just basic image optimization and resizing is forever free. It's open source, it's available for anybody, but some advanced features like watermarking or smart object detection, they're not needed by everyone, you know, but those are nice additions that somebody could benefit from. So it's interesting how different businesses set that waterline differently based on uh, their users' needs. So in previous interviews, you mentioned the importance of being backward compatible and not breaking user applications. How do you balance introducing new features, innovative features, while ensuring that existing users don't face any disruptions or, you know, um, yeah. any kind of like abrupt transitions to new features. Absolutely. And, and th- these are one of the things that really keeps me up at night because obviously 
we deliver a service that basically control how customers and users application behave in production. So if we get this wrong, things will be down somewhere. And this keeps me up. And, and, and so we have done a lot of things to kind of make sure that we, we can balance this and have tactics for this. So one of the most elementary thing that we have done is that there is a strict separation in inner API between admin API used to kind of define the rules, turn thing on and off, kind of administer kind of your configuration of the feature flags. And then there is a separate API that is used for the SDKs connecting to Unleash. And by separating that, you can have different schemas and, and also have different rules on how you make sure you have backward compatibility. Because there is a lot of things you can do in terms of how you organize the flags and permissions and all of that without impacting actually the SDKs and the format they need to, to function. Uh, so that's kind of the premise, having that distinction. And, but still, you will, sometimes you want to add new capabilities, something that is also needed for the SDKs to know about. Um, and this is super hard. Obviously, you can add those new capabilities, but then you need to make sure that you inform the users that, okay, this is a new capability and you need to be at certain versions of the SDK mm -hmm. to be able to get, actually use this in your application. So you can obviously you can enrich the UI with this information. You can even detect which versions of the SDK they actually use. So you can maybe just show it when they are on the lower versions. That's some of the tactics that you can use. But then there's sometimes, and, and I actually have a very concrete example. Sometimes you can actually introduce new functionality, but still be backwards compatible. And that's very interesting. So when we're building a new capability, this is almost a year ago, uh, something we call segments. And it actually builds on, a, on top of a construct that we already had, uh, something called strategy constraints. And it was kind of ability to kind of reuse those definitions and create the segment and reuse that across feature flags so that you can maintain that more easily. But what we figure out is that SDKs, they already know about constraints, but they don't know about segments. And obviously sending down the segments to the SDK would be very, very much more optimized. But what if we could actually transform it on the fly. And what we did is that we added new headers in the SDK so they will inform what they know about. So that new SDK could get a new optimized format with segments as a separate thing so you don't have to uh, have it all over. But then for the old SDKs, we could rewrite the response on the fly in the API based on the headers we got so that we could actually make sure they still got it in the old format, even though it would be less optimized so that you could start using that new capability with an old SDK. And this was very beneficial for us because that allowed us to start test this new functionality early without also re-adding this capability to all the various SDKs. And we could get feedback on that functionality from customers. And what we did was obviously to enforce quite strong soft limits to make sure it was, the payload wasn't growing too heavily. And then when we were satisfied with an implementation, we made sure to implement proper support in all the SDKs. And then gradually, we just monitor the adoption of new SDKs. And over time, we have relaxed the soft limitations. And, and now it's kind of on by default for, for most of the users. So there are sometimes you can do smart things to actually think about how you implement stuff and actually make it both backwards and forwards compatible. But that's not always the possible, of course. Yeah. 
Yeah, it sounds very exciting when you find those elegant solutions, you know, and you're able to kind of enter this new level. It's like a new new level in the game. Yeah, absolutely. You have unlock the doors. As Unleash growth as both an open source project and a company, how do you maintain the core values and integrity of the platform and still achieve commercial goals? Yeah, this is obviously something we think really hard about. And I think it's back to kind of really understanding your customer journey and, and have a really clear understanding on what is the purpose of open source? Why does that exist in this customer journey? And and, and if this picture is super clear internally, it's a lot easier. And, and, and again, as I said, like open source is obviously for small teams, individual teams trying it out, but it could actually be individual teams that actually work in what we would consider our ideal customer. It's just that it's not the entire customer trying out on each. It's just one team in a corner of that customer, but that's still super important to us. And, and why is this important? And, and. And that is, you have to understand the relationship between the open source and your commercial success. And, and what we see is that there is a ratio between open source adoption and the number of customers we have. And we have measured this since 2021, and it seems to be quite stable, actually. Uh, so it means that as long as we build the right functionality, get more people excited by open source, this will also lead to more business for us, but it also goes the other way around. The more successful we are with the business, the more people will know about us, the more users in the open source we will get. So it goes both ways. And, and, and what we also see, and, and we work with some of the largest enterprises on the planet. That's kind of our part of our ideal customer profile. You should have more than thousand employees, usually at least five, 600 developers type of size. That is kind of where we have a sweet spot. In a lot of these companies, and, and a lot of them will also be in very regulated industries like the financial sector or governmental uh, institutions and stuff like that. And what we see is that buying software in these companies is quite hard. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of other stakeholders involved in the procurement processes, security reviews, all of that. And we are building a tool for developers. So Having a strong open source product they can try out, test in their environment before even putting on the sales force on both sides is very beneficial for us. It allows them to try it out, validate, make sure this actually solves their needs. And then we can take the commercial conversation afterwards. Uh, and then we have already the technical win. They already know that they want this. It's more in terms of, can we agree on the commercial terms? And I think kind of having these things really, really maxed out, like understanding how open source fits into the commercial success, it's super, super easy. And then you can just look at them. We can go look at the data and, and, and we see that around 85%, a bit more actually of what we have been doing the last year is improvements directly to the open source. And this benefits everyone. This also benefits enterprise customers, of course, but also everyone using open source. And, and, and this makes sense for us because open source is so crucial to our success. So we need to invest in open source to be successful. And this is clear to the entire company. Also, our sales team knows this. And, and this allows us to work together instead of fighting about we need more features enterprise only because if not, it's super hard to sell. But we know that's not why people come by. It's not just about 
having a lot of enterprise feature. It's about having a great product and having the right boundaries between open source and enterprise. Yeah. And it sort of becomes this self-sustaining ecosystem that feeds itself. As, exactly. As <laughs> and then you can, you can be successful with your marketing and that will fuel, of course, your commercial success, but that would also fuel your open source success. <laughs> and, and you can be successful with DevRel and, and engaged developers, but that would also feed back to the, the, the success of the commercial side. So I, I'll just look at this. If you get this right, it will be a win-win. Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty awesome. I want to talk about feature management a little bit. So the concept of purpose-driven feature management is quite intriguing. Can you talk a little bit about what it means for a developer or a company using Unleash? Yes. So this is purpose-driven feature management. This is kind of the North Star, the product vision, like where we want to be as a company. And and what does that mean? It means that so when, when we build something, when we do an improvement to an existing feature or we build something new, there is a reason behind this. There is something, there is a problem we want to solve. Um, and the question that arises, have we understood the problem? Are we solving it in the right way? Uh, do we build it with the right quality? To answer these questions, we need feedback. And feedback can be a lot of things. It can be very technical. It can be like error rates. Uh, it can be response times. It can be memory usage. It can be a lot of technical thing that we can measure in our system. And that's one part of it. But it can also be product analytics like our conversion rates or workflow duration for that particular feature. It could be many different kind of product-related metrics. Uh, but then there is one last one that I feel a lot of us forget sometimes, and that's actually the feedback from real users, like the very human touch of things. Go talk to our users, enable it for some users that you actually have a conversation with, have them score the new functionality for you. Uh, even your stakeholders, have them score it for you. And, and how early can we get feedback? And, and in my kind of an hour learning, working and also using this feedback type of approach for, for how we build and, and improve on leash is it turned out that the human type of feedback is something that you can get very, very early, even if before you're ready to turn it on for anyone random, you can turn it on for some because you, you have this interaction with them and, and they can give you the honest feedback. And, and if you're able to kind of having someone requesting or having a problem where you're trying to build. Having the power to enable it for them and have them provide you with feedback if you really even understood their problem. And the sooner you can learn this, the better. And this is not about A-B testing or experimentation. That comes later. This is very, very early on, maybe after just a few hours of development, like the initial kind of solution, like very high level, very rough. It doesn't really work 100%, but it's enough to get kind of, are we on the right track or not? And... Um, and to me, all of these are feedback, super important. But if we can collect those feedback and, and have those and, and define when we are building functionality, which of these metrics do we really care about? Because for me, feature flagging and, and feature management, it, it's about speed. Like you want to run fast, but not too fast. It's not about just producing. It's producing the right thing with the right quality at, at the right speed. And then if you can kind of balance this with the metrics and, and, and then you can start to do all kinds of things 
you can start thinking about automation around this. If you know that, okay, we have a threshold for that rate, we have a threshold for the response time, but we also have a threshold for the customer effort score for this or other kind of the conversion rates, whatever kind of makes sense for the thing you're building. Then we can use that data to automate and instead of manually starting to roll this out to more and more people, we can just say, we will not progress before we hit those numbers. And maybe we need to do multiple iterations internally. When we hit our goals, we can move to the next level. And then we can test it on more people, make sure our metric still stands, and then we can progress it to more people. And all of this can be automated if you think very structurally about the feedback or and, and the uh, the data that we will use to validate the, what we are building. Yeah, sounds pretty awesome. I mean, you touched on many things from the rail to tech marketing to feedback to open source to fast iteration. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of like the you know the golden path uh, for a startup founder. If someone is inspired by your journey with Unleash and wants to create their own tool or platform, what would be your advice to them? I mean, you already gave us a lot, but yes. if you were to pick one thing, what would it be? Start small, start simple, and take shortcuts. And remember, we did this landing page in WordPress. And to be honest, I, I wasn't sure if anyone would sign up like uh, within a few weeks. So of course I knew somewhat how to kind of been up unleash on a server in AWS, but I haven't built anything for this. I haven't automated that yet. Why should I? If nobody signed up, what should I care about how to run that in, in clouds? And, but kind of, you, of course, you need to know, at least have an idea how you resolve something in a timely manner, but you don't have to be perfect the first iteration. And then you iterate on that. And, and for me, it was like, yes, then we get 10 customers. I started writing a script for this because it was a bit tedious. I did it slightly different every time. And then we grew and then we had hundreds of customers. And then suddenly, okay, maybe we need to actually use proper infra as code and, and Kubernetes and kind of really take it to the next level. And then you hire people to do that. And so, so it, what I'm trying to say is start small, start simple. Try to focus on getting a customer, talk to them, learn from them. That's your goal, not to build the perfect thing, but build something that is valuable. And obviously, we had the benefit of having an open source project that people used already, but we didn't know kind of the, how commercially viable that was. That was the thing that we started experimenting with. And that person didn't need to be perfect because we had the open source, of course. Uh, and of course, you need to have something, of course, that's some, something for people. Yeah, and um, it sounds to me, it's a great time when you solved your own problem, as you said, right? You encountered a certain problem, you solved it for yourself, which is why people naturally, you know, use the open source project because you solved a very specific problem for them. And then it, it starts snowballing from there, you know. Uh, it's it's quite interesting to watch that, that journey from, from the start. I think also it depends, like, it also needs to be a problem at the right time. And it yeah. could be that you're too early, it could be that you're too late. I would probably be a bit more careful trying to build a new feature flag system today because there is just so many. And so maybe find another problem, but there will always be these problems that are not really well solved today that a lot of people have. 
the question is, how do you figure out that many people have this problem? And the only way is just to try and talk to someone, try to sell it. And if it's easy, probably many has this problem. Sounds great. I like to end an episode with a warm fuzzy. It's a section where I ask my guests to share what makes them feel great about what they're doing right now. How about you, Oliver? I feel so lucky because I I am a developer. I love to work with developer and and kind of my mission with what we are currently doing is to simplify life for developers. Um, and makes me my, my, my first go worm and I feel very proud about it at the same time, if that's allowed to say. Sounds like the perfect journey for a startup founder to be able to kind of fuel your passion with your day-to-day work. That sounds like a dream come true. Um, Absolutely. In, in the end, I would like to give you an opportunity to share your kind of call to action for our audience. Uh, what would you like them to do? It's simple. Go to our GitHub, check out Unleash. And, and if you like it, tell others. If you don't like it or you see things that could be improved, let us know. We want to improve Unleash all the time. We have a Slack. You can join our Slack and or you can just do a discussion directly on, on GitHub. But we build this together with our users and customers. So it's not, we don't have all the answers and we depend on you to make it better, basically. Sounds perfect. Thank you so much. This was really insightful. I'm really Thank happy to have a chance to sit in the room with you and discuss those things. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you for catching yet another episode of Dev Propulsion Labs. We at Evil Martians transform growth stage startups into unicorns, build developer tools, and create open source products. If your developer tool needs help with product design, development, or SRE, visit evilmartians.com slash devtools. See you in the next.